vegan beauty is not synonymous with clean beauty. Cruelty-free doesn't mean vegan. Vegan doesn't mean cruelty-free. Non-toxic doesn't mean natural. It's like, okay, really you have to look at the words that we're talking about first and be like, if you value cruelty-free beauty, like there's so much potential for cruelty-free beauty outside of the clean beauty realm. Like you don't need to source clean. You can go conventional. Hey guys, I'm Izzy Sapien, a seasoned brand builder in the most elusive and mysterious industry on earth, the glamorous beauty industry. And I'm on a mission to make beauty a better place, starting with this podcast. I've worked in the marketing departments of several major beauty brands and helped build a number of emerging brands from zero to millions. Each week, I'll break down the details of some of beauty's most notorious and untold scandals of today, along with my own personal experiences. But most importantly, my whole reason for doing this podcast is to highlight the beauty and wellness brands, influencers, and trailblazers who are doing it right and deserve a piece of the spotlight. Not to be mistaken for a cancel culture reboot, this well-intentioned tell-all aims to create a space for growth in beauty. I hope you'll join me every week for honest and stripped down conversations. After all, it's growth that's a thing of beauty. Hey guys, welcome back to A Thing of Beauty. I'm your host, Izzy Sapien. Today is May 24th and it should be a Tuesday, but it could be any other day if you're way behind on your favorite podcast episodes, like I am. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes. I can already tell, one, because the guest that we have is just so incredibly well-researched on this specific topic, but two, because this is a topic that's really controversial right now and has always been important to me. And when I started doing this podcast, I really wanted to stay in neutral ground and present a lot of both sides. And I think Lisa's a really great person to do that because she's very committed to the clean movement, but she has a really great, like no BS approach to living. After HBO's release of Not So Pretty, which I'm actually going to break down next week, I think this conversation is more important now than ever with all of the misinformation in this industry and just how easy it's become to say a product is safe. And with all the fear mongering people talk about in, you know, kind of like baiting people into this very divisive chemicals versus clean conversation. And we know, we know now that brands are putting some carcinogens into beauty products and they're not getting caught for it for a very long time. But before we jump in, I want everyone to remember, and Lisa state this really well later in the episode, do not freak out. It is very improbable that the red lipstick you wear six times a year is going to kill you. Lisa is the founder and main blogger at This Organic Girl, and she's one of the first influencers, formerly we used to call them bloggers, in the clean space. And she has a really unique journey to how she became one of the leading sources for natural living. She has such a great approach to, you know, beauty claims. And we're going to take a look at some popular labels and what it really means to be cruelty-free, non-toxic, clean, and reef safe. And most importantly, one of the key takeaways from this episode is you can start developing your own standards for your own personal care routine and maybe be able to spot some red flags in beauty claims. Her guides on her site, which I really recommend you check out, are where I go when I know I need something really clean and trustworthy and I just don't have time to do the research. But you'll see in this episode, and what I took away from it personally, is that Nothing can ever replace being, you know, your own advocate and really doing the research for yourself. Let's jump right in.
Lisa, welcome to A Thing of Beauty. First of all, I love the gray. This is also being video recorded. It looks phenomenal. I love your reels. I think they're fantastic. So Lisa and I never officially met in person, but we've known each other a long time. When I briefly worked in influencer marketing, Lisa was an influencer that we worked with when I was at Citrine, but more importantly, one of the original clean beauty bloggers, like before it became a cool thing, before it even became really like an Instagram thing, there was blogging. And so you've been doing this for a while. How'd you get your start? Totally. So it all happened with the birth of my second son. He was born, he had like a mild case of eczema and the doctor prescribed steroid cream. So I started applying that and he was like four weeks old and it bleached his skin like white, he had white patches from it. And so I, my mom got, was just like, this doesn't seem right to me. There has to be a better way. So I started trial and error, exploring better options. What else could I do? And 18 months later, I discovered that it was a dairy intolerance. So we stripped a dairy out of his gluten and dairy out of his diet for 30 days. And in 14 days, it was gone about midway through. I'm like, oh my gosh, just at that point in time to be able to make a discovery like that at the expense of my son's health, just lit a fire in my belly. I was like, are you telling me I have to be the caretaker, the cook, the clown to like, you know, entertain my kids at that time. I had two small kids. They were two and three, I think. At the time. And now on top of all that, I have to be the doctor too. Like it just burned my tits off. So- <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, cause you're from Boston, aren't you? Like, I'm yeah. like, when you said light a fire, I'm like, that's not a regular fire. If you're from Boston, that's like a next level, <laughs> next level fire. Oh God, my inside is just like, <laughs> so, and you know, I'm sure a lot of people have had a similar experience. Like you get an entry level into, oh, this is a choice that I can make. And the choice that I have been making, it hasn't been the healthiest one. Like what are some better choices we can make? And all of a sudden your world blows open because you're like, oh, this also applies to my mattresses, my makeup, my lotion, my food. And then at that time started in Instagram, I couldn't stop talking about it. I'm, I'm an Aries and super passionate. So then people started asking me questions. I'm like, you know what? Let me just, I thought I was coming up with this brilliant idea. Let me go on Instagram and just share what I'm doing. Like, this is what I'm making for dinner tonight. This is why it's a better choice. We'll come to find out that's called influencer marketing. And it was still, <laughs> it was on. You know, I was like, oh, so I opened up the door. I'm like, oh, there's a ton of people here already. I had connected with another blogger in the space and became fast friends. Because as you know, it's like an isolating experience being online. Or being a content creator, you know, it'll rub a lot of shoulders with people in my office every day, for example. So making friends and connecting and being able to talk about the work, she had encouraged me to start a blog. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, uh, type articles all day long for what? Like for fun? Like I have other stuff to do. I can make dinner. I got to wash the sheets, blah, blah, blah. But for some, she was like, I just think you have a lot more to say than you do, than fits in an Instagram post. And that just got to me. And then I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. So I kind of stumbled on blogging through the back door. I didn't really mean to do it. And then once I figured out how actually you can run a blog as a business, then that kind of like hooked me in. Cause I was like, Oh, I see. If you get to a certain page views, you can start making ad revenue. You know, if you put in affiliate links, you can get a kickback for what you like and you can share that with your readers. And then they just kind of like opened up more doors for me. So that was kind of the start. What of year did you say that you started? So I published published my first blog post in 2016 and I came on Instagram in 2015. Wow. Oh my gosh. And I remember, I remember you. And then who was the person that we worked with on that project? Susie. Susie, who was also cool. You know, Amanda, do you remember Amanda West Reed? Exactly. Yeah, Amanda, she works with us at Beauty Independent now too. So a lot of the same people from like the original industry are still around. 
And I, the reason that I wanted to have Lisa here today, one is because I came across your guide online for beauty product certifications. And two, because this is such a confusing piece that I think creates a lot of issues in the industry, right? We have this like problem of people saying, okay, what is clean beauty? Is it reliable? Is it even relatable? Is it a marketing thing? And then when you break it down, you realize there's so many sub pieces within that. There's so many pieces to do with the environment and, and animals and, and safety. What is the difference between toxic and clean and what are those things? And so Lisa's the perfect person to come here and talk about these. I want to try to make this as easy to understand for people who can get some like actionable takeaways about how to shop for things. But Lisa also has a phenomenal guide on her blog that I'll link so that you guys can check it out. And also she does a really cool pocket book kind of thing if you sign up for her email list with like some extra information. But let's start with why this is such a problem in beauty. Like why are there certifications? What is the issue and why do we need these? I know. I think, well, from my perspective, the issue is like when I want to buy a product, I want to know that I'm choosing a product that's healthy for the planet and healthy for me. And I think that certifications or standards see that need and then they step into it. I don't know in terms of like, what's the origin of the USDA organic certification? I would love to know that backstory. Like why was that actually started in the first place? I'm sure it was for something, some similar reason. I mean, maybe it was just a guy that knew a guy that was like, hey, let's do this. (laughs) Let's do this. So what about, so you were explaining to me, you know, a little bit via email, what is this like self-regulated versus like an actual certification? I know this has been going on for years. I watched that docu, it's not a documentary. It's like a, maybe like a biopic, I don't know, Dark Water, where they talk about the whole PFA thing as Mark Ruffalo, first of all, it's phenomenal. But they talk about how the EPA, most of those standards even are self-regulated. They're not something where they come in and they check your products, you're in charge of sort of regulating and adhering to their standards. So what is the difference between a self-regulated standard and an actual, like, is that different than a certification? Yeah, so great question. And it's actually the question that I had in the impetus for this research project. So for this research, I just wanted to understand certifications in general. Like, what do they mean? How are they different from each other? And above all, is there one that is a gold star and standard? Like, is there one that I could see and be like, oh, I have no questions about the process, the manufacturing, the ingredients, because I can trust that this standard is the standard for me that I believe in. And so we employed the help of Krupa Kessline, who owns KKT Consultants. She is a clean beauty formulator and chemist. And so she helped guide us through this conversation. And I learned so much. So first of all, we'll call them standards because they some are certifications, some are verifications. But for the purpose of this conversation, we'll use the word standard. And so then we chose like the most popular ones. I mean, there's literally tens and tens of standards. We selected maybe eight of them to just compare and contrast. And like, once you see one of them, you're like, oh, clean at Sephora, that's kind of like clean at Target, you know? So you could kind of extrapolate, apply the most others. So basically there's two groups of standards. One group of standards, it's a self-regulating set of standards. So like, if you're going to meet this standard, you have to check all the things off in this checklist. The body that makes the standard and the body who certifies to that standard or verifies to that standard is the same body. So for example, EWG, Made Safe, Clean at Sephora, all of those set their own standard and then verify to that standard. Is it good? Is it bad? Depends on the way you argue. Nothing's good or bad, right? It's all in the gray. But what lens are we looking through? You know, are we looking through the lens of I'm walking into Target and I want to pick out something off the shelf that's 
better than something else. I see EWG verified. I know that's been third-party vetted. That's what I'm going to choose over something that's not probably in a hot second. You know what I mean? Does that mean it negates everything else that hasn't been EWG verified or third-party vetted? No. I mean, this goes down a huge wormhole, but that is one group of standards. The other group of standards like USDA Organic, NSF, Cosmos, those standards have been set by a body like Cosmos, like USDA Organic, and then certified to that standard by a third party. So instead of the student grading their own test, it's the teacher grading the student. Oh, that's helpful. That is very helpful. So how old is Cosmos? This is one I actually never heard of. Cosmos is, I actually don't know when it was established, but very recently it merged with five standards. So like soil association, like there was like five European standards that kind of joined together to do this. And so then when we talk about these, so like clean is a term, right? It's not a really a standard. I can say, oh, I have a clean product, right? That requires no one to validate that or tell me that that is true, right? I can just say that. That's not a certification or a standard. It's just a word, right? It's just a word. It's unregulated. It's what it means to you. And in fact, like at This Organic Girl, we have a clean beauty standard. We have it clearly printed. It goes through everything we value and what we consider to be clean. We actually don't like using the word clean, but it's what works on the internet. It's SEO friendly, Googleable, all of those things. So it's like we have to use the word because it, that's really what it is. But do we think that word encompasses everything that clean beauty represents to us? No. We break it down. However, so does everybody else. Beauty Heroes has their own clean beauty standard. You know, Sephora has their own clean beauty standard. Birdie has their own clean standard. And so then what happens is you set your own standard and then you market to that standard. That's what everybody does. So like, this is what I consider to be clean. Here's what matches our clean standard. This is why I like it. But it's going to vary from, it varies from standard to standard. When I'm talking about EWG, Made Safe, Cosmos, it varies from standard to standard. It varies from retailer to retailer. It varies from blogger to blogger. It varies from independent publisher to independent publisher. Wow. So when we talk about like the limitations of, of something like that, like if I know that a lot of the products, for example, we use a lot of the same products. Like I like Ilya, a lot of the products they use, there's a lot of similar things. I would say I have less super clean product picks than you do. But if I know you're using it, then I know that I'm safe to use it. Like I know it's probably actually above my standards if you're using it. Is that a good way for people to shop? Because frankly, like it's easier and I don't mean to call any brands. I love the brands, but like, it almost seems easier to trust the influencer than it is to trust the brand. Yeah. I mean, I think both bring a different story to the table. Some brands have the power in the resources to discover tiny brands across the globe. I don't have the resources to do that. It's me and Nicole and Christy, and we turn the wheels every single day. So Everybody brings a little bit to the table and then we filter it down and talk about what that means to us. And so if you can find somebody that you align with, like if people see this organic girl publication and think like, oh, I value what she values. Like we print our values very clearly. That's what sometimes I tell people, like if you disagree with what I'm saying, like maybe we're not the right publication for you and that's fine. No, we don't all have to have the same values. But what is important is the transparency. So like if you have Clean at Sephora telling you this is a clean perfume. Well, you better understand what that means to them before 
using that if that's important right. to you. And I want to talk about these. I, I'm thinking about where we should start. I think we should start with Leaping Bunny just because it's very old and a lot of people, cruelty-free is not really that controversial anymore. You know what I mean? It's not like people are like, I'm against cruelty-free products. Like everybody, most everybody cares about things being cruelty-free. I think the confusing part about this that I just discovered this morning is that you can say you are cruelty-free, right? And that doesn't mean that everything in the product and the formulation and everything inside is also cruelty-free, right? That's how Leaping Bunny works. Just explain it to us. Explain Leaping Bunny and what is the difference between having like this little bunny that says cruelty-free and an actual Leaping Bunny like insignia? Yeah, okay. Well, I want to back up one second before that and just say like, there's a lot of terms like just being slung around in clean beauty, but like when you boil it down, vegan beauty is not synonymous with clean beauty. Cruelty-free doesn't mean vegan. Vegan doesn't mean cruelty-free. Non-toxic doesn't mean natural. It's like, okay, really have to look at the words that we're talking about first and be like, if you value cruelty-free beauty, like there's so much potential for cruelty-free beauty outside of the clean beauty realm. Like you don't need to source clean. You can go conventional. So the interesting thing about Leaping Bunny, and I talked to Tara, the founder of Meow Meow Tweet about this because her is she values vegan and she's very cruelty free positive and all that stuff so she had said that leaving bunny is the best standard for certifying cruelty free and they're the only certification body that requires you to follow your supply chain and submit proof so for like PETA you can just sign an affidavit and send it in so there's like a difference between those two what Leaping Bunny does specifically is it certifies that no animal testing was involved in the making of the process but it doesn't speak to the composition of the ingredients. So it doesn't mean that it's necessarily vegan. It means that no cruelty to animals has been done to get this product on the shelves. There are labs that will do human testing. So you can get an SPF that's truly not free of animal testing. And I think it's a, I think it's a myth anyway. You know, when I was like talking to somebody, they were saying in the US, like people say, oh, well, things have to be tested on animals, but they don't. There's no like, legal requirement to do that. People just do it, you know, because they don't want to test it on people and it's cheaper. You can, you know, do that safe, but I don't, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up and like add it in there, but I'm pretty sure it's not like a legal standard or anything, but with Leaping Bunny. So I don't want to say anything's misleading, but what happens, I think a lot in these areas of beauty is like people become distrustful because things appear different than they are. Right. So like, if I want to buy something that has a cruelty-free insignia, versus a leaping bunny insignia. Leaping bunny is by definition, if I care about animals and testing on animals, the safer way to go, right? Well, okay, here's where it gets sticky. I mean, to the person who maybe accounted for all of the ingredients and did the research on their own and you ask them, is their product cruelty-free? And they say, yeah, and it truly is. I mean, you can also probably take that as truth, but then also to the person who does the same thing, but like didn't check maybe the sourcing of, some of their ingredients specifically like it is good to have a third party basically like this third party vetting just means like not one person is saying this is true but two people are saying this is true so that's what like a third party vetting like establishment does be whether it's leaping bunny or another certification for example so then we talk about like moving into clean and this clean thing you know you brought up clean at credo clean at sephora which are first of all, really helpful. Like I think helpful to the public before it was very difficult to discern the products in a Sephora. Like I could be shopping at Sephora and 
frankly, I don't even like the way that they sort their skincare. I think it's confusing to understand, but you know, this has been helpful. I think for a lot of shoppers who are interested in the idea and want to do it clean at Credo to me is very different because I was under the impression everything at Credo was clean. So can you get a Credo clean certification without being in Credo or just if you enter Credo, you're clean by Credo's standard? First of all, like walking into, I love that you mentioned walking into a Sephora and seeing like clean at Sephora. Whether you agree with Sephora's clean standard or not, what I love about this is that the every consumer, I mean, I would argue like so many people shop at Sephora, they're walking in and now Sephora basically is saying, guess what? There are products in here that are cleaner than others. So then what does that do to your brain? Oh, so what does that mean about all these other products? It just the seed. That's why I love it is because all of a sudden now, guess what? This conversation is a real conversation and it's not just happening in this niche environment. It's happening worldwide. Okay, so that's why I love that, whether you agree with their standard or not. And then your question, a standard like clean at Credo. Well, first of all, Credo, everything in, nothing's certified clean at Credo. I mean, if you can get into the Credo store, you need to- Okay, that's what I thought. If you walk into a Credo, you are safe. So what do they use that for, I guess? Like they're just using it as a standard by which if you want to shop here, everything adheres to this. If you want to be in here, you know, you're a brand who wants to retail here. You have to meet all these standards. That's like the sole purpose of that, right? It's not to go out and say, I'd really like to be clean at Credo certified and use that in my own marketing. I mean, you could add that to your website. Why not? I mean, you could also find us in Credo and we meet the clean beauty standard. You can, you can totally say that. And you could make up a circle and put it on your external make packaging. Up a circle. I love that. And someone pick it up and be like, oh, this is clean at Credo. Great. It's good. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do with your marketing. There's nobody to tell you yes and or no. And that's the inherent problem, right? There's nobody who's going to tell you yes or no. The only people who are really going to tell you are the people who are going to fight it out in your Instagram post, uh, whether you're being honest or not. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, where do you want to live? And how important is this to you? That's what it is. Are the details important to you? Is this really just not on your radar? And, or maybe it is on your radar and you just don't want to make time for it. Like, I just want to choose the best option that's available at Target and move it along. Cause I just don't want to spend this much time in my life, like digging into certifications. I don't care. I mean, I, I would argue that most people would say that. Yeah. And I think honest. people, you know, just like with anything, when things get this complicated, that's when they start to shut down. You know what I mean? Like you think you can say, okay, well, you're really interested in clean beauty. I think you should try X product. Okay. And then they hear on the internet or they hear from somebody else. Well, you know, you can't really certify organics in America or whatever, all those things people say all the time that whether they're true or not, or have changed. Like I remember even verbiage, we used to sell products, you know, back in the day that now the standard is completely different than it was before. It used to not mean anything. And now it means something totally different. And there's five different people who are overseeing this specific product or whatever. I mean, 10 years ago, people didn't even know about PFAs or what do you, what do you call them? Forever chemicals. Like we didn't even talk about that. And it wasn't even a thing. Not only is it a individualized standard, depending on who you're talking to, it's also an evolving standard. I mean, it's living. We are we're creating new chemicals every day. We're finding out new information every day. So people are constantly updating their standards and swapping out their preservatives and trying to meet get to the next standard and like changing up their packaging to be a little bit more responsible. Like it's an evolving process and it'll never be end done. Like no brand's ever going to say like, 
this is perfectly, you know, eco-friendly, clean, exactly where I want it. I, I guarantee you every single brand is just trying to push to like do a little bit better in, I think in the clean beauty space. Do you least. get a lot of people, cause you were talking about opening the conversation and I agree that is interesting. Like if you walk into Sephora and you even just see the signage, now it's on outside signage and everything. Like, you know, we have cleaner products, whatever, it'll list some brands. Do you get a lot of people, you know, coming to you on Instagram or the blog who are like, I just found out about this concept. Like, what should I do? More than that, I get questions about ingredients. What do you think about this ingredient? Or, you know, what do you think about this product? That's really usually what I get in my inbox is like, would you use this? I think a lot of that confusion stems from the multiple standards. You know, for example, phenoxyethanol is a broad spectrum preservative. A lot of brands use it. It's very good at what it does, meaning it keeps mold out of products. And for example, MadeSafe allows this preservative in 1% or less, that's what they said when I emailed them. But when we take another standard, like Cosmos standard, they don't allow phenoxyethanol at all. And so then you get this tension. Now this is when people come to me. What do you think about phenoxyethanol? What do you think about fill in this, fill in the blank ingredient, product? And then that's, that's trickle down effect because now you have retailers. Some retailers like Credo will allow phenoxyethanol and a couple other ethoxylated ingredients like that. Whereas beauty heroes or integrity botanicals won't. And so when you start getting into the nitty gritty, people have a lot of questions. And the thing is, sometimes it's really hard to answer those questions because those decisions are made off of a couple of studies or one study or one piece of information or compiling information. And it's like, there's room, there's room to argue both sides there. Percentages matter. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not here personally, me, to demonize ingredients, demonize products, fear monger. I'm here to like, let's open up the box and see what we're actually talking about. Like you should be confused about phenoxyethanol. You should, because this is why it's confusing. Everybody's setting their own standard and then marketing to that standard. Yeah. I, first of all, I love that you said that. I just picture people from like the old clean beauty space as being like zealots. You know what I mean? You just think of them like, you know, but you seem very like, middle of the road. I mean, I know you have a standard for yourself of products that you won't use and whatever, but I think that's the biggest part. Like a lot of people, they say, I read in this one study and I know for a long time we were using a lot of the same four studies for everything and then giving that information to people. And I think that was one of the most toxic things that came out of the initial side of clean beauty. I was a part of that for sure. Like there are many things that I wrote where I was like, you know, you could get cancer from this and stuff like that. And you just, you feel bad because it was definitely a catalyst for where we're at now with people being like, I don't trust clean beauty because they fear monger people. Like that's their big thing. They just don't want to be scared. And a lot of people don't want to live that way. Like, you know, it's, it's already scary enough in the world to wake up every day. And now, you know, we're freaking people out. So I love that you said that. I love that you take so much weight with how you're recommending things to people and just opening a conversation. We need to remember that it's like, if you're going to argue about an ingredient that's formulated in 1% of a lipstick that you wear two times a month, what are we arguing about at this point? Look at what's in your water. The water that we're consuming every day, the water that makes up over 60% of your body mass. Like we need to get a water filter first before we like start going fisticuffs over, you know, red You talked about clean Sephora and you talked about clean and credo. What are some limitations? Like, even if it's just personally for you, because I know we're talking about how like it's for individuals. Is there limitations those have for you? Like, would you walk into a credo and just buy anything blindfold over your eyes to the label? Would you do that personally? Consider what do I do for work? This is what I do for work. So no, I wouldn't do that. 
if we're talking about Lisa on the daily, like outside of this organic girl, maybe I never started this blog. Maybe I'm just a girl walking around. Yeah. I would go into Greedo, buy anything and feel good about it. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So that says a lot. And Credo sort of influenced the Sephora standard initially, right? I feel like there's some relationship there. I don't know what it really is, but now Sephora in 2021 evolved that to have that secondary clean and planet positive, which I love. I think this is such an impactful move for a big place like that. First of all, planet positive products, they're not cheap, right? Even as like a retailer, you know, working at a 50% margin, they're expensive to retail. And, you know, Sephora doesn't, they're not known for somebody who builds beauty brands, right? They take a lot of already popular Instagram brands, TikTok brands, whatever. So I think this is incredibly beneficial to the industry. But, you know, when we're looking at the past certifications and other things like made safe and organic and all those things, that's not typically about the environment, right? It's typically about the end user, the consumer safety. Is there any other certifications that monitor like environmental impact or anything like that? Like if that was the thing I cared about most, it wasn't so much ingredients. Okay, yeah, there's a couple things you said right there. So first of all, Sephora was started by Louis Vuitton company and Credo was started by two Sephora. Oh yes, you're right. What are we looking at when we talk about environmental standards? Because if that's what I care about as a person, is there anything, you know, I can look at, like if I walk into a Sephora and I see clean and planet positive, is that something, if I care about the environment, I can use to standardize buying? Like I could buy those products and it would, when we talk about impact, every impact is very small, but would those be better than the other products I bought somewhere else? Okay. Yeah. Love this question. Okay. So just as clean beauty is evolving, standards are evolving too. So like if you look at Sephora, they actually have their three-year plan or five-year plan detailed out in like where they want to be, you know, in the future. So they're like moving towards that. You would have to look at each standard to, if you have a core set of values that you want to make sure is being met, you would have to look at each standard to see if that standard is the right one for you. Right off the bat, the Cosmos standard, I know for sure, requires an environmental management plan. So it ensures manufacturers and subcontractors. So not just the manufacturer, but all their subcontractors address discharge and waste management. So like down to that level, they are controlling the process. Like if you don't have that in place, you can't get Cosmos certified. I mean, I was told a story by a brand once that she said that their officer came in and they like observed you for a period of time. And he was standing in the corner watching the manufacturing go down. And he took a piece of paper off of his clipboard and threw it in the trash and waited and, you know, just stood there. And so the brand donor was like, I went up to him and I was like, that needs to go in the recycle bin. And he was like, you passed that portion of the test. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it's super strict. Like, that's why I'm just like Cosmos for me is like the gold standard. I love, if I see a product that's been Cosmos certified, I'm just like, my heart starts going. Really? Like, well, cause I didn't know much about this. Are there some brands you can like name that you like that are Cosmos? Cause I, I'm assuming I know what this is. It has like a little star and kind of a thing and it, like all capital letters. I feel like I've seen this. So like one love organics, you'll either see like EcoCert or Cosmos. That's oh, EcoCert. Yes. Yes. Cosmos. Yes. So that's what they have here. But not to get too granular, Cosmos has two standards. One's Cosmos Organic, the other one's Cosmos Natural. Cosmos Organic is like super, super strict, but it's, you know, beauty's kind of tough to certify organic, like a Cosmos Organic standards, like 
it's more probably agriculture, things that can be certified organic. For example, like titanium dioxide cannot be certified organic. So what do we do with that? Well, they've created a second Cosmos standard called Cosmos Natural for things that literally impossible to have certified organic, but still a, a great natural formula. So it's tiered. Anyways, you probably just see like a red circle probably the words cosmos or ecosystem. I definitely have seen this. And I think you bring up a really good point too, when we're talking about like certifying organic things, because we used to talk about this, like when I was working with Kira Weiss, there was a lot of ingredients like mica, titanium dioxide that like, you know, we find these in the earth. So no, they haven't been monitored for the last 50 years. If they're certified organic or not, we don't know that. So I think that that brings up a really good point. But you said with this cosmos certification, that to you is gold standard. Like if you see that on a product, you need look no further. You're trustworthy of this brand or product. Yeah, it's super hard to get certified Cosmos, like so hard. I mean, it has to be manufactured in a Cosmos certified lab to begin with. Okay, and then all of the ingredients have to be Cosmos certified. And then the entire manufacturing process has to be Cosmos certified. I mean, down to the packaging and the marketing. You have to actually set a plan for how you're going to get more eco-friendly in the three-year plan. Five, you have to have all of these things in place. They check every box. Wow. That's amazing. Even like, I don't know. So for example, did you hear last year about like the huge benzene? benzene Oh, yes. With Neutrogena and everybody. Yeah. And so Valisher is like an independent lab that like took a bunch of sunscreens, tested them for benzene, which is a known carcinogen not fear-mongering, just literally stating the facts. And the EPA, the, you know, has said a PPM, parts per million, which is, you know, wouldn't recommend going above this. And several of the sunscreens came back above that PPM. Now, how does that happen? Nobody's adding benzene into their sunscreens. Well, one of the ways this happens is during the manufacturing process. So when a beauty owner has their own brand, they have to get their products poured somewhere. Back in the day, clean beauty was being poured out of their kitchen. That doesn't happen anymore. Like they go to a manufacturing contractor and say, can you pour these ingredients? Can you make these products for me? And then can you pour them in package? And they say, yes. So then you're like, great, you sign a contract, they pour, they deliver. But like as a beauty founder, are you going through and being like, what do you happen to clean your tanks with? Like you're not analyzing cleaning ingredients being used to clean the lab materials, like the lab. So benzene is one of those cleaning products. So then sometimes the residue is left there when you pour in a new batch of sunscreen, guess what's going to happen now? It's going to be contaminated with benzene. For example, the Cosmos certification checks cleaning products in the manufacturing plant. Phenomenal. And do you have some listed on your site that you like as well, or do they list them on their own site? Oh, for Cosmos products? Yeah. you know what? I actually got that question before and somebody was like, you should create a resource that's called like all Cosmos products. And I'm like, yeah, that would be a good concept for a store. But I mean, again, we don't have the resources to do all that. But I mean, I wonder if Cosmos does have a list of products. Yeah, like One Love Organics is one that comes to mind. Love Sun Body is the only sunscreen in the US that is Cosmos certified. Like I said, it's really hard to get. So like you will see brands that that do have it. But like when you see it, you just know that like, first of all, they paid a crap ton of money to get it because it's pretty expensive. And then that's the other thing too. Like, yes, like when I see that, I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. I can use that with confidence. But at the same point in time, on the other side of the coin, you could have a formulator who's very thorough and that's all of their ingredients and is super 
forward and innovative with their in products and innovation. And um, I, like Maya Chia comes to mind or Live Botanical or Osmia, uh, beautiful products. And they have not chosen to put their resources into obtaining a third-party certification. And that's just a choice that they've made. If you are a brand owner and you have an extra $50,000, which by the way, I would argue that most brands 50, don't. 50000 you going to, I mean, no, I don't know how much it costs, but say you, say you have your pool yeah, yeah. of money, you need 25000 to meet the minimum for the bottle requirements. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, what do I do next? Like, it's going to cost me a couple bucks to set up a website and then I should really do the PR. Guess what? That 50000 goes real quick. So do you have an extra XYZ to get like third-party vetted? Probably not. Do you want to put it into ingredient innovation? Do you want to put it into, you know, hiring more staff to be able to fill the orders that come in? I mean, there's just so many needs with micro brands that you see a lot in clean beauty. That's like a lot of people just choose not to put their resources there. And I think that's a wonderful decision for some yeah, people. Yeah, what you're touching on is such a important topic to me because even though there's so many new brands, we've really not like democratized beauty. That's why independent beauty is still so small, right? Like this minimum order quantity thing you're talking about, it's made it incredibly hard for independent brands, one, to formulate products at an affordable rate. And then two, if they don't sell everything, where do you think the inventory goes into landfills? It gets fucking thrown away. Well, that's the thing that stinks too, is like, I went to the New York City Cosmetic Chemist Suppliers Day two weeks ago. It's pretty cool to like go in and check it out because it's like trending ingredients. It's pretty much what we're going to see come out next year. And then the following year is like suppliers come to the day they try and sell their ingredients to formulators and brand founders like, ooh, you should use this in your sunscreen or whatever. Anyways, it was super cool to just walk around. I went, I walked around with proof out the woman who consulted for this blog post that we're talking about today. And I just wanted to be a fly on the wall and like listen to the questions that she was asking the suppliers. And a lot of it was like, what's the inky? And the inky is basically the international nomenclature for ingredient lists. So like it basically, she was just asking, great, this ingredient looks good. What's in it? And that was like the most popular question that she formulates green, like it's the most popular question of the day. So I was like, oh, okay. So what I do on the daily kind of just like spills over into what you do on the daily sometimes. She's like, yep. But like, for example, with the leftover product, if you are going to a contract manufacturer and saying, I have this product that I want to get made, they say, okay, great. Here's the minimum. You need to pour 5,000 units. That's the least number that you can, that we'll make for you. And then you want to get, you can get off the shelf like bottles if you want to package it in just like off the shelf plain. But if you want anything that's like custom, that's probably going to be minimum too. And sometimes it's like 25,000 unit minimums. So then sometimes what happens is these new brands who are just trying to kick off, they have 5,000 units of a face cream and it has a two-year shelf life. And then after two years, what are they going to do? Throw away 4,000 units because they didn't sell. So there really is like a huge industry gap where like new beginning brands, it's getting harder and harder to crack into the industry because these contract manufacturers are boosting up their minimums. And so there's a real opportunity out there for micro contract manufacturers I'm just putting it out there if anybody wants to fill that void. And not to mention, if you say, I want to find a minimum quality contract manufacturer who's also Cosmo certified, well, you might as well just give up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably somebody out there, but like if you're trying to get 
specific like that. It's real hard. No, no, you're incredibly right. This is like, this is one of the most important conversations in beauty right now, because it's what fuels this entire idea of like bigger conglomerates producing more clean products and more like things in the industry that are really not held to that high of a standard because they can do it so much cheaper than a regular person can. And so it is, it's a huge problem. You talked about sunscreen or I talked about sunscreen. This is like one topic I just want to touch on. And then I want to talk about, you know, just like a couple tools, like who to trust, like where to go is this thing with reef safe. Okay. Because I just want everybody to know that reef safe is not a certification. There's no certification for a reef safe product at all. This is a personal issue of mine. My sister, she works in coral reef restoration and SPF has been hugely detrimental to marine life. And a lot of people think that they are buying reef safe sunscreen because you can write reef safe on a sunscreen bottle. I don't know why this is such a big issue, you know, from what I've heard. And I did read this today in consumer reports that the Academy of Sciences is going to meet this year and they're they've got a committee of experts and they're going to release a report on everything that can't be considered reef safe anymore so this just keeps coming up because my beloved brand supergoop i don't want it to use supergoop it's not enough for a lot of people who have like a high standard of products i originally started using it because i'm thinking like it has all these things on the back it says no this no this no this like it has a huge list non-irritating vegan no synthetic fragrance Well, so come to find, I'm like, you know, looking this up, I knew about the reef safe thing. I don't wear this in the ocean. The problem is what goes down the drain potentially goes in the ocean. So that's like, not really like that helpful. But I went to my sister. I'm like, I found this regular sunscreen that's reef safe. She's looking at the back of the bottle. She's like, no, this isn't reef safe. Who told you this is reef safe? I was like, the packaging says it's reef safe. And so I go and I start doing my own research on Supergoop. They have a blog post from 2019 that they updated to say, We've updated our brand language to use the term reef friendly rather than reef safe as we feel it best describes the environmental considerations that drive our development team. That's upsetting, right? That it's not been taken off the package, that this says reef friendly when they've now know that it's not. These ingredients like chemical SPF is bad for the reef. Like there's an empirical knowledge that that is true. What is your thoughts on this whole reef safe thing? Like, what do you use? What do we do? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. And it's another good example about how marketing just plays into this equation and marketing isn't regulated and doesn't only apply to reef safe. It applies to words like natural, organic. I'm like, brands can write natural all across their product. You could call your brand natural, 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 and you could turn it over and have nothing be natural in it. I mean, nobody's regulating it. But then what happens is like third-party standards, third-party vetting systems like Whole Foods, for example, refuses to stock anything on their shelves if the word organic is printed on the front of the label, but it doesn't actually apply to the product if it doesn't actually meet the organic standard in some way because there's different levels of beauty products, how they can be certified organic, whether it's 70% organic or 95% organic. So if it doesn't meet one of those qualifications, you cannot say the word organic on front of the label, they won't stop you. And so that's what happens is outside people start putting the pressure on these terms in their own way. So exactly, Reef Safe is not regulated. You could have your product be called Reef Safe, Reef Safe, Reef Safe, and you could turn it over and have, you know, oxybenzone and oxytinate those the ones that I see that have been banned from Hawaii and Key West from being used, sold in their 
inner, I know like Key West, like in the inner city. And yeah, no, my Hawaii. sister, she works in reef restoration in Key West. So that, and it's very publicly known there. They're like, we don't use this. We don't use this. Their Whole Foods is like stocked with really decent mineral SPF. And then anywhere else you go, I was just in Miami and I bought this and there was a freaking sign that said reef safe. I'm like, oh great, I got this on my kid. And like, you know, frankly, I should have looked into it more, but it's just upsetting because people prey on the idea that we all want to be part of the good piece, right? We don't want to be part of the problem. And like, if I see that automatically, psychologically, I'm like, oh, great. If I use this just a little bit better than something that's bad for the poor, you know, fish and the coral reefs, it's just like very upsetting. It's very upsetting. And I'm sure it's difficult for you since you do this all day, every day with things like that. Well, it's like, that's why I have a job. Yeah, but you know? do people get defensive? Like I would have been, if I went to you and I was like, this is just, this shows I'm just not a nice person or something. I would have been like, I use this, whatever. And I'm very trustworthy of it. And then you were like, I wouldn't be if I were you. Like, do people ever get defensive about their choices? Because they're committed to things. I try not to- Make people feel bad. Get in defensive conversations with people who are just coming into an awareness. I don't want to make it seem scary. I want to make it seem approachable. So like a lot of times during the summer, I'll be like, oh, will you take a look at the sunscreen? Like, what do you think? And I'm like, maybe it's not the best choice, but like they chose it because it was active ingredients, said zinc instead of chemical barriers. And I'll be like, great. You know, maybe I don't like the inactive ingredients. I'm like, good job. Like, that's a great, if I went into CVS, I would probably pick up that one too, like in a pinch, like absolutely, you know, but I know what you're saying. and it's maddening. And the bottom line is like, without to sound, sound pessimistic, these big box brands and also small brands. I mean, anybody can be a liar. Right. Yes. There's no like, <laughs> you know, there's no like, you know, okay, only this type of person can be a liar. People want to line their pockets. People want to sell you their product. What's going to do that? Well, the clean beauty industry is growing. I mean, there's something that I saw on Cision PR Newswire. It said the clean beauty industry was forecasted to be like 11, oh, hold on, I have the number right here. The global clean beauty market in terms of revenue was estimated to be 11 or forecasted to be 11,558,000 by 2027. Okay, so we're getting this pressure that, oh, okay, not only are brands creating more green, more sustainable, more clean, more healthy, but now we're getting consumers realizing that, oh, that's actually what I want. So anybody outside of that realm is like, oh, I want a piece of that. How can we get in there? Oh, let's add a green check mark. Let's add a leaf and put a circle around it. Oh, let's do whatever we can to like try and let people know that this is a healthy option yeah. too. No, I think Chanel, Chanel's just coming out with their clean beauty alternative kind of thing. I oh, think it's Chanel. Oh, okay. ooh. Oh my God, I can't wait. Yeah, to you should look at it. I, they've released some of like the information. I don't think they like launched it yet, but I cannot possibly imagine. Like if I was a brand who literally made billions off telling people that there's nothing wrong with their products. And then they're like, but we also have this other product that there's definitely nothing wrong with. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Isn't that interesting for a brand like Chanel to come out with a clean line? Because I'm like, what does that say about the rest of your line now? You know? But I think honestly, there's still an industry, there's still a demand for it because some people just don't care about it. They want want performance, they want what they love. So, I mean, I don't think conventional beauty is going anywhere. I think we're just seeing more traction for clean because it's just, it's trending and it's not going anywhere. No, you're right. Yeah, they definitely see a trend. And I I think you're right. Like when you have a legacy brand like Chanel, there will people who will always buy Chanel because it's Chanel. So it won't matter to them what it is or what it does. So I think that's true. 
Will it be interesting too because like Chanel has the resources. They could literally get access to like the best clean beauty chemists, the best green chemists. I mean, they could really make something amazing. If they come up with something that's truly stunning, I will just, I'll be so excited. Have you seen Mob? I think he was the formulator at Mac, right? Oh, is that what it is? I actually haven't a chance to look Yeah, I think it. he comes from Mac. He was one of like the main guys. Yeah, I have it right here. So they come without like package, any outer packaging. So like I can show you, it's like cardboard inner, cardboard outers. And then you open up the card, cardboard outer and then you get a um, refill. So this is like a lipstick refill. And then you would buy the outer tube separately. It's very sexy, you know, like the packaging. Well, I mean, the sexy part to me is like the sustainability of it. I still think like these type of things, I got a deodorant like this the other day too. Like here, you take the outer tin, you put the thing in the middle. And now like, it actually did look pretty chic altogether, but it's still a little bit clunky. But maybe that's just one of those things that we, listen, you need to get over it. If you, if you need to experience clunky for 0.5 seconds of your day, like to actually get a lipstick that, you know, is better for the planet. So that's what I'm saying. It's still like a little clunky, but obviously we're moving, you know, I love to see the experimentation, like what brands come up with, like what a refills look like and what a packaging look like. And it's not easy to innovate and like to come up with something that's works better than something you can just throw away. I mean, it's really hard to do that. So I applaud anybody who's kind of like stretching into that area. So when you think about, you know, tools, where do you begin and who do you trust? Like, you know, to wrap up like this part of the conversation, you know, social media has been both a breeding ground for misinformation and also like a transparency equalizer. It really did make information that wasn't available now. Like you probably saw that Olaplex thing on TikTok, right? People flipped out. They were like, this gives people cancer, this ingredient is a huge thing. And then other people were like, no, it doesn't. It's just in this amount. You guys are fine, whatever. So that's like a perfect example of like bring information into the realm that's valuable for consumers to know, but like in probably the wrong format, that was not like the best way to share something like that. And it backed a brand into a corner and it made people defensive and it made other people freaked out. Where do you start? You know, you're obviously like a positive piece of the industry and, and you do a good job finding like that middle ground, but where should people start? Like, can they talk to you or like, do you have resources that are like, this is 101 level? Social media is sensational. If you can publish something that's sensational that's very like a hot take in one direction it's gonna get traction you're gonna get a lot of views you're gonna widen your scope your range all of that and so people you know are probably really passionate about the topics but also you know that's what sells is sensationalism that's the reason we have tabloids you know what I mean so for it to take a hot extreme on a topic that's really gonna generate views and that's collateral today so just take that with a grain of salt and know that extreme views like that are really the outliers. And most of the time, the story lives somewhere Ooh, in the I middle. Love that. We have like a lot of resources on the blog. I mean, you can pretty much come to this organic girl, type in any keyword and you'll find something to be helpful. If there's not something helpful and people are welcome to email us, we, we respond to every reader wow. email. We do. But I just want to validate that it is confusing. I also want to validate that, in my opinion, it doesn't deserve 90% of your attention. You know, we're living big lives here. We're living full lives. Like your attention should be on what you enjoy doing and beauty should be a lovely experience. And if you can find somebody that you align with, like this organic girl or somebody else, and you're like, hey, I want a red lipstick for this party. I don't know which one to buy. Let me just type in real quick, red lipstick, see what comes up. Like 
then you just cut out the middleman, you know, and if you find somebody you trust to interpret all this for you, it makes it a lot easier. Or maybe it's the Cosmos standard. Maybe you just go to Cosmos and type in rub lipstick and see what they've certified. And, you know, I think that's, there's a lot of nuance. I don't think it should run you. And I think if you can find somebody that you trust, it makes it a lot simpler. Lisa, that's incredibly helpful. So what about, you know, beauty and wellness? They're a small industry. We've just talked about multiple people that we both know. Who are some, you know, people or brands that you personally really support? Like everything that they do, you trust. Yeah. I'm, I think I mentioned a couple of these brands already, but love Maya Chia, love Osmia, love Lip Botanica. Sarah is great. Josh Rosebrook. I mean, there's just so many gorgeous brands. I actually love, I'm a Beauty Heroes ambassador slash subscriber. So I love discovering luxury clean beauty from them. They deliver like over $100 worth of clean beauty to your door monthly for like, I don't know, you can get it for less than 40 bucks a month. Super fun way to like get what into it. What are you wearing? What's on your beauty shelf like on a daily basis? Okay, so I'm glad I just mentioned Beauty Heroes because actually my current skincare routine, which I update every three months, we have a blog post that remains the same post, but I just keep updating it with what I'm using. So you can bookmark that if you're curious and always check back. It's always current. But the latest Beauty Heroes was a brand called Sahajan. You know that? Uh-huh. Yeah, and so we got their cleanser, which is gorgeous. It's like a hybrid between like an oil and a water-based serum. It's so I have beautiful. to try it. You're the second person who's referenced that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So their cleanser, serum, and moisturizer came in this last month's box. It was like close to $200 in value, but like available for the public for, you can buy it as a one-time box for like um, a little bit less than 60. I mean, it's such a great deal. So that's what I'm using right now with a little bit of Yina mixed in. Like I've been using the Yina mist and I love the Yina sheet mask too. She masks are a tough one to find. Yeah, we have a blog post on that too. We have like the we even have a found a biodegradable option as well. Wow, are they pretty bad for the environment normally? Well, I mean, it just create like if you think about comparatively, everything's comparatively speaking, everything's what lens are you looking through? But comparatively speaking, if you have a mask in a jar that you're applying, and then at the end you either recycle the glass jar or you throw the jar away, compared to twenty sheet masks, uh, with I mean, sleeves one of and everything. Wow. Yeah. I've been so enlightened. <laughs> I've changed some stuff. All under the lens of, I mean, like worry about your water consumption before you worry. We about, have a like, big, like, you know, those rooms of water filters. So it like took up a whole room. They installed it. Cause I live in Arizona. We have the worst water. It's just disgusting. Like it's got a lot of chemicals in it. And it's got a lot of pills and stuff. We have really bad water. So you can, okay. Well, yeah. how, how can my listeners support you? Okay, would love you to come to the blog and download the pocket guide that you mentioned for the beauty certifications. It's basically just an easy to read checklist. You can download it to your phone and then you can just keep it in your pocket, use it next time you go to Target or Sephora or any time you shop for beauty. And then also follow along on Instagram at this. Definitely follow Lisa. She's got great reels. I'll link all the resources she talked about. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. I hope you guys will listen. There's other, you know, episodes in the past, new episodes every Tuesday. Definitely give Lisa a follow and then, you know, reach out on email or anything like that. If there's anything you want to hear about. 